This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Welcome to the podcast. We have another great episode on tap today. Before we welcome our guests, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program. Remember, this helps us get the word out to others. Let them know we're providing valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a, uh, a difficult subject to talk about, a sensitive subject. So before we go any further, just want to kind of put this disclaimer out here for folks that uh, we will be talking about suicide today. So uh, listener and viewer discretion is advised. And uh, it is uh, National uh, uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. So we decided to have back uh, on uh, Dr. Ashley Coker Cranny from Whole Brain Solutions and Whole Brain Performance. Doctor, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Like I said, this is a sensitive subject, a subject that we don't talk about. I know when I was growing up, we didn't talk about suicide because people felt if they talked about it, that they were encouraging people uh, to take their own lives and stuff, which is certainly, I don't believe the case. And that's why we're here to talk about it. Um, the story that uh, I sent to uh, Dr. Cranny is um, of Katie Meyer. She was a member of the Stanford women's uh, soccer team, and uh, she was found uh, dead in her off-campus apartment back in March, and they ruled that it was uh, a suicide. And then just recently, we had another uh, a collegiate softball player uh, that took her own life. So obviously, these are you know, collegiate athletes that are under a lot of pressure. And we want to talk about that because we do place a lot of pressure on our athletes, uh, especially at younger and younger ages as we go on. And I figured uh, Dr. Cranny was the perfect person to come on here and uh, talk about that. So before we kind of jump into things, can you kind of just give us a little bit background on suicide as far as statistics in the United States and kind of where we stand with that in 2022? Absolutely. And, and as, as much as it pains me to say this too, I've got to add another name to the list that you just described. Um, okay. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, we lost a Wisconsin collegiate runner, um, uh, Sarah Schultz. So it's, it's in the last two months, we've seen um, an increase in completed suicides with, with high level college athletes, which is, which is tragic. It really is. It really is. And I'm also glad that at the beginning, you kind of talked about this idea that we really don't talk about suicide because we're scared that it is going to kind of prompt things. And unfortunately that myth is just perpetuating the stigma and making it much harder to find treatment. Um, some other things that really kind of complicated are, are many of us don't know that actually a lot of the suicides, about half of the suicide um, attempts and deaths that we actually see are not related to diagnosed mental disorders. So there are a lot of people out there who are experiencing suicidal ideation that don't necessarily have diagnosable mental health disorders. So it's not always related to depression or to bipolar disorder or some of those other things that we've typically really thought about. Um, when we look specifically at collegiate athletics, we know that about 30% of college athletes say that they're overwhelmed and they're anxious and they're kind of dealing with a lot of very big things, but only about 10% actually end up seeking services compared to about 30% in the general population. So we do see less help-seeking behaviors in athletic populations than we tend to see in more general populations. Um, it is, I think, important to note that between the ages of about 10 and 25, suicide is the second leading cause of death um, with our youth in America, um, and that is behind accidental death. So um, it's, it's, it's 
definitely an epidemic that we are dealing with here in the U.S. and, and something that needs more attention. Um, I think other things maybe to note are that um, particularly in the high school population, uh, about 20 to 25 percent of students have said, yes, I've thought about suicide. I have thought about killing myself um, and about 10 percent have actually attempted it. Um, so those numbers are quite high um, and, and reflective of the fact that it is the second leading cause of death. Um, and it's important to note as well that when we look at, at completions of suicide, very often there was an earlier attempt or significant warning signs um, that, that just maybe weren't addressed in a way that was necessarily helpful. And about that, that kind of three month period after an attempt is kind of one of those vital periods um, where there's a, a massive increase um, in, in risk. I think oftentimes we go, oh, well, you know, they tried it and they recovered and, you know, that must have been the shock to their system and everything is fine, when actually quite the opposite is usually true um, very often. You know, um, I, I, I talked to Dr. Cranny before uh, this interview and I said I didn't want this to be a kind of a fluff interview. I wanted to tell the truth and I wanted to put the facts out there and let our members decide um, for themselves and just, you know, contemplate it, maybe do a little bit more research. And later on, we're going to provide a lot of resources for folks to learn more about it. We'll put it in the show notes here uh, as well. And just, you know, uh, West Virginia Soccer Association is committed uh, to the mental health of our members, uh, whether it be players, coaches, referees, even parents. Um, you know, we want everybody to have a good frame of mind for their mental health and be aware and understand that, this is not one of those things where it's, you know, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine, walk it off type things. Um, you know, having kids that have, you know, participated in collegiate athletics, uh, I've seen that firsthand of the struggles and the pressures that they face from, because I mean, not only are you a full-time college student, but you're also a full-time athlete as well. And, you know, some, a lot of, you know, players are dealing with athletic money, which affects their you know, their tuition costs and housing and all that other stuff. So there's so much riding on this that, you know, the athletic money, you know, families may not be able to afford college without that athletic money. So then there's that additional pressure on top of it. But I'm kind of getting off track here. But um, where in the, the spectrum is it that somebody gets to the point where they feel, and, and I love this word, hopeless, they feel so hopeless that they would even consider taking their own life. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot, talking to a lot of colleagues as well as clients about, we kind of live in a society that sets us up to feel hopeless. We often think about hopeless and we go, man, that's just, that's so far beyond what it is that I would feel. But let's just look at something maybe on a smaller scale and then we'll scale it up. We've set up our society where we are broadcasting all of the highlights of our life on a regular basis on social media. And our news is broadcasting all of the worst things that are going on in the world. So if I'm somebody, let's just take a very benign example. If I'm somebody who, um, you know, I'm a mom of three kids and I'm reading about all of my friends who are getting up in the morning and they're going to the gym and coming home, getting family ready, getting them off to school, doing a full day of work, taking them to extracurricular activities. They're coming home, everybody's sitting down at the table and they're having this lovely dinner. And then they have this beautiful bedtime routine and an hour of reading and all of this kind of stuff. And then, oh, I have time to go kind of read my book or, um, you know, do all the things that I want to do. If I'm a person who is struggling to get through a quarter of that, and I'm seeing everyone around me is just juggling it just fine. 
then I start to believe that there's something wrong with me. If I then combine that with all the terrible things that I'm hearing about in the news and how the world is such an awful place, I'm really primed for a sense of hopelessness. If I then add in a pandemic where I can't see people and I can't connect and I feel very isolated, it's the perfect storm for hopelessness. So it's not necessarily that we get to a point of hopelessness that says suicide is the only way out. I, in over a decade of training, I have never talked to a client or a clinician that has ever said that they have talked to a client who feels suicidal because they want to die. Every single person that I've ever talked to, ever read about, ever talked to a colleague about feels suicidal because they want the pain to stop. They want the hopelessness to stop. Suicide is not something that people contemplate because it's like, well, you know, I don't really, uh, I don't really understand the the point of life. I'm just, I guess I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm kind of bored with whatever this is. It's never that it is always, I am hurting so bad and I am so overwhelmed and I don't know what else to do with that evolutionarily, our brains say, if you are overwhelmed or threatened or those kinds of things, your options are to fight, to run, or to freeze. Suicide presents the most, um, it's kind of the ultimate flight opportunity, right? Like I'm dealing with this big thing. It feels like it's too big. It feels like it's overwhelming. It feels like I'm going to die if I continue to do things that I'm doing. I might as well save myself the pain and just run away from it. So having a suicidal part is not necessarily uncommon. Many of us actually have those parts and it makes sense. And when we can offer compassion to those parts without encouraging them to go ahead and move forward, but we offer compassion to say, dude, I get why it is that you are are in a place where that seems like the only option. When we're stressed, we narrow our attention and that's all you can see right now. I get it. Now, what do we do with that? And then we kind of find ways to problem solve and, and figure out how to, how to work through all of that pain. When we heal the pain, people stop being suicidal. It's not a condition that you experience suicidal ideation and that's how you spend the rest of your life. When we take away the pain, then that suicidal ideation goes away. But when we don't, when we ignore it, when we say everybody else around me is fine, I must be broken, then it feels like the only option. It's, uh, you, you, you make such a great point. And when the storm is there and the rain is coming down, you can't see a foot in front of you. And that's all you see is you focus on that pain. You focus on that situation. You focus on that and you, and you're not allowed, your brain just doesn't see the things, you know, the other things and stuff. And and that's why it's so important. And we encourage anybody that's dealing with any issues of any sorts to talk to someone, find a professional. We provide, you know, the suicide hotline uh, information on our website and all our social media platforms constantly. Um, What are some of the warning signs of maybe somebody that is starting to venture down this path? Yeah, I think that's an important question to ask. There's never going to be a perfect answer to it. Suicide is incredibly complex. Suicidal ideation is incredibly complex. We're never going to know everything. There are some things that we can count on. And before I get into exactly what some of those things are, the one thing I want to say about athletes in particular is that athletes have been trained to mask their pain. They have been very specifically um, coached in unintentional ways 
to brush it off and, and pretend like everything's fine. So if we're, what we're looking for is those typical warning signs that we see in the movies or that we hear about, um, you know, that, that an athlete won't get out of their room or that they've isolated from all their friends, that can be true, but it also may not. And if you look at recent reports about completed suicide attempts in athletes, very often you'll find that their families are saying that I had, I had no idea there probably were warning signs. They probably didn't, didn't catch those, but you know, so much of what we hear is they were so bright and they were so bubbly and it was so amazing and, and all of this stuff. So it's important just to recognize that the warning signs may be different. Um, classic ones that we tend to talk about is, you know, if, if people are making kind of those passive comments on social media or verbally or whatever it may be of life is just too much. I don't want to be around anymore. I would like to die you know, things like that. Um, if in a moment of anger, they're saying, well, you just would be so much happier without me here. Don't worry. One day that will happen. You know, we need to take those things seriously. Very often there are verbalizations before there are attempts. And so we definitely need to pay attention to that warning sign. Um, if we're finding athletes are kind of making those final arrangements, they're sort of saying goodbye or they're getting, um, getting rid of treasured things to people that they want to have them. Obviously those, those are, are very emergent kind of warning signs that we need, need to pay attention to, but there can also be things that are a little bit more subtle. It might be stuff like, um, they tend to really enjoy hanging out with a particular friend group. And now all of a sudden they are not having as much contact with them anymore. Um, that could signal that there's been a conflict, follow up about it. Has that conflict been something that they've been able to handle? Are they looking for help? You know, how are they, how are they managing that kind of a situation? That's an important one to look for. Um, one warning sign is, is pretty tricky to work with, especially in athletics. And that is that sometimes wins are kind of a relief they're not really experiencing real joy and motivation in that they're kind of doing it because they have to. And so when they don't experience much sense of accomplishment in the things that their identity is totally wrapped up in, that can be really, really hard. Um, but that can be a very subtle kind of warning sign of, wait a second, they're not getting a whole lot of fulfillment here. We, we need to do a little bit more digging um, to see what it is that might be going on. Um, it could be changes in appetite. It could be incre increased risk-taking behavior. It could be changes in substance use patterns. Um, could be changes and sleep and things like that. So, you know, big behavior changes that seem a little bit atypical tend to be a pretty reliable warning sign, if not for suicidality, then for any other number of things. And we should be paying attention to it anyway. Um, I think the biggest thing is just, I, I hear a lot of, of parents or significant others or, or people in athletes' lives where they say like, man, they just, they say this stuff all the time. How am I supposed to know when this is the time I need to listen? You need to listen every time. This exactly. is not... We, we dismiss it in general as like, oh, well, this is just attention-seeking behavior. And my answer to that is, of course it is. They are overwhelmed. They are seeking attention because they need help. If we just dismiss that as, oh, well, I don't want to um, make the attention-seeking behavior bigger, then we are, we are solidifying their idea that nobody is there to help them. And a lot of times when we kind of confront that suicidal ideation or maybe try to get them help, we'll get a lot of resistance. You know, kids come back from a, a meeting with the council and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to be there. Well, of course they did, because what they're actually doing, whether they know it or not, is their system is trying to test boundaries and see who it is really cares about them and is going to be there when things get difficult. And if we just drop it and say, oh, it's, it's fine. They're doing okay. 
you know, then, then we aren't, we aren't speaking to and, and supporting um, the belief that you actually do have a support system around you that is committing to committed to helping you through that pain. If you were say a coach or a parent or a friend, mm-hmm. um, I think we're starting to see a little difference in the generational thoughts on mental health. And we're starting to see that transition slowly, but surely, which sure. is nice. Um, and you're maybe that type of person that was, you know, like me, I mean, I've, I've evolved so much over the last couple of years when it comes to that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was brought up in the rub dirt on it, walk it off. You're fine. Don't, you know, don't cry mm-hmm. that type of thing. If you're a friend or a coach or a parent that may believe that type of stuff, what advice would you have to, I don't want to say be better, but be more compa- and it's more compassion, more empathy for your players, you know, more than just a player, it's a person. What yeah. what advice would you have? Yeah, I, I feel like I say this every podcast that I'm on here about everything that we talk about, but relationships matter. They do. You have you have to. One of the things that's contributing to a sense of loneliness is that our youth are feeling like they are alone and like they don't have anybody. For a lot of athletes, sport is an escape. Part of the reason why they pull themselves into it and they're so good at it and and it's so motivating, at least in the early years, is because it provides fun, but also it could be an escape from something really big or really scary, whether that's academic difficulties, trouble in the home, issues making friends, I mean, any number of things. Um, So if as coaches and teammates, we aren't fostering and nurturing those relationships, then we're tearing apart some of those adaptive coping mechanisms that brought kids into sport in the first place. So we really have to pay attention. Besides the fact, how are you supposed to know if there's a personality change or a behavior change or something going on with your athlete if you don't know what typical looks like? If you haven't created that relationship, you can't know when they're off. So you can't identify the warning signs. So first and foremost is build the relationships. Second, and people don't like to hear this, but go to trainings. There are trainings for coaches. There are resources for parents. There are, even if your kid has never expressed a a suicidal thought to you or to any of your friends that you can find, read about it, learn about it, notice about it. It may not even be your kid that you're going to end up helping, but maybe it's your kid's best friend who's always staying at your, your house, always eating there, never wants to go home. Um, you know, all of those kinds of things, you can be an amazing resource for them. So do the trainings, read the research, get yourself familiar with the things that you can do. Um, and then do not perpetuate the stigma by being afraid to talk about it. And you can be proactive in that. You know, we we're, we're coming out of a pandemic. Hey, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. We know with adolescent suicides, it very often happens spring and early summer months just seasonally, we tend to see that trend. Okay. It's coming to the end of the school year. You got finals coming up. You're going to spend a lot more time without your friends and maybe more time with your family. You know, all of those things can be really, really stressful and overwhelming. Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Have you ever thought about killing yourself? It sounds like such a weird conversation to have, but when we don't have that, we perpetuate the stigma that we're not allowed to talk about it. And then those who think about it think that they're alone and that something is wrong with them. And we don't want to do that. So we want to have those, those open conversations. I talk with my five-year-old or my, my eight-year-old about it 
and I have started talking about it with my five-year-old. It seems like it's too early, but we're seeing more and more suicides with younger and younger kids. We have got to stop perpetuating the stigma and start talking about it, making sure that they know what resources are, making sure we know what resources are. So when we're caught off guard in that conversation that we didn't expect to happen, now we can say, hey, there's this hotline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. I would love to sit here with you if that would make you feel comfortable or I can give you some time, but I would really love if you would call and talk to them because I care about you and you matter to me. And I really want to make sure that you're okay. And let's just, let's just take a step and we'll see what happens. And so being able to be informed about those things, I think are some of the major things that we can really be doing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's all building that relationship and, and whether it's with your child or whether it's with the player on your team or whether it's a friend um, I know I just recently started refereeing again, and mm. I now referee exclusively under nine and under 10. Mm-hmm. I love that age. Not only do they're respectful and they listen to me where I don't get a lot of people to listen to me in my normal life, <laughs> um, and stuff. But one thing that, that kept in my mind was this is an opportunity opportunity for me to serve those kids and Mm -hmm. maybe me being kind and me being empathetic and me helping them learn the game and have fun as my primarily focus and you know what not only keeping them safe on the field and stuff like that but maybe that they're having issues at home maybe they're having issues at school and I'm one of the few people that showed them empathy that week you know, that's, that's my primary responsibility. I think yes. why I ref and why I continue to ref that age group, because I don't know whether, you know, I, I would like to think that I'm able to serve them, serve these kids and, and provide, you know, some sort of, of relief for them, maybe if they're having problems. But yeah. um, if I am someone that is starting to venture down this path, mm-hmm. um, what resources are available out there for me? Yeah. Like I said, there's that 1-800-273-TALK, which is a suicide prevention hotline. Um, They know all of the best resources all over the place, and they have very skilled people who who man that hotline. That's always a great place to start. Um, First things first, just reach out to somebody. And then together, you guys can figure out what to do next. it's always a good idea to get to get consultation from a professional um, if you're really feeling like, you know, this is an emergent situation. Uh, very often, even though we think about suicide a lot, it's actually impulsive in the moment. So even though I may have been planning it and I may have uh, gathered means and that kind of stuff, and, and that took some time, um, very often the actual act itself is impulsive. I'm in that deep state of pain, so I'm going to go for it. Um, so if we can kind of combat that a little bit by just just talking with a professional, hey, what are the things that I can do? Where are the resources that I can go? The CDC has has resources. The DHH websites for just about every state have resources that you can use. Um, most counselors and mental health practitioners have different resources posted on their websites. There are about a zillion different places that we can go, and I can give you some more specific ones that we can put in the description for your podcast. Um, but those are some good places to start. Um, another place too, if we're talking about, um, youth, um, or even college athletes, talk to your school counselor. There's a reason why they're, why they're in the schools. Um, you may not have an existing relationship with them, but they will make time. 
So get in there and have that conversation and then let them help them help direct you to the kind of help that that could be most useful. Um, but yeah, reach out for those for those relationship points and those connection points um, along the way. And I think it's important that any club administrators that are listening to the program, um, I know that our state administration is um, concerned about these issues. And that's the reason why we're doing these podcasts. That's the reason why we're providing mental health information and stuff like that, because we know as a state association, it's important to provide that information to our members. Uh, but, you know, clubs, uh, I think, need to take a closer look at that. And, you know, there's so many people that are out there that are wanting to help people like you and people like, you know, Laurel O'Neill Thornton, um, from Whole Brain Solutions and Whole Brain uh, uh, Performance that are committed to these issues and are willing to help out. That's the reason why you keep coming on the podcast, and that's why we're so appreciative to have you uh, on the podcast. But I think as administrators, I think we need to look into this more. And not only do we provide specialists for our goalkeepers and you know specialists for our strikers and things along that lines how about we bring in a specialist for our mental health of our players and especially those that are competing at higher levels that may have a lot more pressure on them uh to perform um doctor as we kind of wrap up the show here um i always usually ask this what's if there's one piece of advice or one suggestion uh when it comes to suicide that you can leave our listeners and watchers with, uh, what would that be? I feel like I wanna spout off five things. Um, <laughs> you can be a very important person in somebody's life. You may not necessarily know that you're that important to them, but you very much can be. So moving through this world from a place of empathy and understanding and compassion can be the greatest gift that you give somebody else. You may have absolutely no idea that they are struggling. It would never be your responsibility if they disclose something to you and then later they end up attempting or completing. It's never your responsibility that that happened. That said, you can also be so influential just by offering that kind gesture, by being a soft place to land, by being the one support when they feel like they don't have any anywhere else or that nobody cares or any of those kinds of things. And I think a second point that I think is really important to make, suicide doesn't discriminate by race or socioeconomic status or athletic ability or anything else. I don't care what level you're in, we have to pay attention. Think about how many coaches that we have for an entire athletics department and how many athletic trainers we have for that same athletics department. And then think about how many mental health professionals we have dedicated to that. We are not allocating the resources that we need to be for the second leading cause of death in the US. We've got no problem sending people to, to doctors because they have asthma or because they have high blood pressure or anything else, but we're not taking the same um, stance when it comes to mental health. And we are asking, especially in, in youth and college athletes, they don't have fully developed brains. And we're asking them to solve major complex problems that all due respect to every generation before us that has rubbed dirt on it and, and done things the hard way. It was different. It doesn't mean that our athletes now are weak or that they're mentally unstable or that they can't handle this. We specialized them when they were eight, nine, and 10 years old. We told them that the only way that they were going to get to college is that they paid for it themselves. 
We put all this pressure on them to carry the pride of their school or their town or wherever else. Um, we put them in homes with greater divorce rates and more abuse and all of these things, all with underdeveloped brains because brains don't develop until we're 25 years old. And we said, go figure it out because everybody else is figuring it out. You better figure this out on your own. And then we wonder why we have a problem. Maybe if we actually started talking about it and we started admitting that not everybody is fine and that we all struggle with things, maybe we could start to curb this a little bit. It's been rising since 2005. It's not been declining and it's not just been the pandemic. If we can't change something systemically, then nothing will change. We will continue to see this. This may turn into the number one um, cause of death among adolescents and young adults. And we don't wanna see that happen. It is preventable. It is absolutely preventable. Um, even though it may not always feel that way and we need to do more. And if you're passionate about this and, and want to get involved, talk to your administrators. If you're a coach, talk to your coaches, if you're a parent or, or talk to the school board or, you know, get, get the conversation started. There are people out there who will listen and who will try to rally the resources to stand behind this, but somebody has got to make that movement happen. Otherwise we're going to continue doing the same thing. And then wondering why, um, why are the same results? Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Ashley Coker-Cranny from Whole Brain Solutions and Whole Brain Performance. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today and talking to us about this extremely difficult subject. We appreciate it. Always. It's my pleasure. And thank you for listening to the show. We appreciate you listening and watching. Remember, make sure you like, subscribe, and share our program. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast. You can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network or find us on our social media platforms at WV Soccer. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.